So I'm not even close to through my slides. So here's the here's the fun thing. You know, I don't have to finish them. You'll get all you need. And um, this is the other thing it did for me to be here. When I when I go to when I go to Global Awakening, and I go there twice a year. But when I go in the fall, they ask me to teach for three days on the covenant. And when I do that, I start in Genesis and go all the way through to through the New Testament. I try to do it in six hours. That's a 24-hour set that I have. And uh, that's a lot of fun. I don't care. I, I, I just have fun with that. And then when I go to the second year, the year you're going to be in, they always ask me to teach on revival. And I haven't ever um, coalesced my stuff. So you're getting... Um, kind of a first run of what when I go to teach on revival I'll do because very quickly people forget revival history you'd be surprised um, if you if you walk into any group of people that are under 30 years old and you ask them if they know who Billy Graham is and you'll be stunned how many of them don't have any idea who he is and I'm talking about Christian groups because very quickly the memory of, of, of a person is lost and Billy Graham is um, um, I, I think Billy Graham was the last Christian personality or person that would would be uh, regarded in America on most admired lists um, Christianity has has uh, since the 90s uh, fallen into disrepute and um, by the way largely due to the failures of our biggest public figures um, we won't let that defeat us. We'll just keep preaching the kingdom. And we'll let the Lord chasten us and clean us up. Because we're happy for the Lord to do that. All right. We ready to go, to go ahead? Is this, is this, is this helpful to y'all? Did I said we were trying to have fun? Are, are y'all having fun with this? Because for me this is fun. So I, I, I hope it, I hope it, stirs you a little bit um know a lot let's talk about moves of god in the 20th century and and beyond and um, and by this i mean the late 20th century because what i consider to be the fourth great awakening um the if you were if you were to go to the leaders i actually don't know who the leaders of the catholic charismatic movement are by the way i believe that the catholic church is in position right now to be one of the cultural winners of what's happening right now in our culture. I think you'll see a revival in, uh, in Catholicism because of two things. One, that the centrality of Eucharist, um, the centrality of what they refer to as the Mass, and, and, and I think people are hungering for God and the, and the mystical experience of God. And two is because the Catholic Church will not adjust their moral theology to the whims of humanity. And there's an interesting thing about Catholicism that's different than how it is with Protestants. And Protestant churches, if they disagree with you, they leave. They chasten you. But when Catholics disagree, they don't leave. They just say the church is wrong and they stay in the church. Um, their participation might diminish, but um, but. Catholics are not market share driven. 
This is an important lesson, by the way. Evangelical Protestant churches are market share driven. We belong to a market economy. We have to have constituents in order to survive. And so you'll see a, you'll see a lot of, of Protestant and even Bible teaching churches modify their moral theology for, this, for the sake of sustaining a market share. Pastor. No, we're yeah. Um, this is this is a this is a really big thing. And what we have to do, by the way, is we have to learn a language that instead of sounding judgmental of the culture, sounds honoring to God. We have to reference our language to uh, who we are before God and our conscience before Him as followers of His, and not have our language to be. Um, accusatory of of the people's darkness. I, I can I can really help you with this. This is a this is a really important thing, because uh, immediately in in today's world, when you identify yourself as a Christian in any kind of public way, you immediately start getting asked the moral questions of the of the era uh, about uh, about LGBT questions, transgenderism. You immediately get asked these questions. And Christians, we're not ready for these questions. We haven't learned how to give an account of ourselves. And this is where the Holy Spirit has a great work to do with us. But the work has to be related to, um, to who we are and, and what we can and can't do because of, because of our conscience. Because we are compelled by, by the word of God and by conscience to obey the Lord and that, and that judging the world is not, is not in our purview. That's not our point. I didn't mean to get on that, but I could talk about that a lot, but much of it, much of it comes, comes from the, the few instances in Holy Scripture that we have of, of how the Jewish Believers, the Hebrew believers, believers. I don't, they weren't all Jews. Uh, don't get confused by that. You do understand that not, all Jews are Hebrews, but not all Hebrews are Jews. You understand that. And, um, but, but they often found themselves in exile. And the lesson for how to live is we have to live like people in exile We've been trying to live like people in empire. We're trying to live like we're in charge. We're, we're not in charge. We are literally exiles in a foreign land. And, and we're going to have to learn how, the lessons of exile. How do, we, how do we sing our song in a strange land? Jeremiah uh, 29 is always called upon um, that, we, that, that um, we'll seek the Lord and find Him. I know the purposes that I asked the stuff before that, which was very practical stuff where He told them, you're going to be here a long time. Plant crops, build houses, take, take wives, beget children. He taught them to live their normal life. And if you start, if you start living um, other than that, you're going to be afraid to have children. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be afraid of the world. 
And we're not called to do that. We also are not called to, to conform to the king's edicts or to the cultural's demands. Even if they show up in the Christian family, as they did in my own family, and my own family members rebuked me because of my refusal to participate. And I, I, I'll detail that in private, not public. Um, hallelujah. All right. So moves of God, the Jesus people beginnings, and then, and then I talk about Chuck Smith meets Lonnie Frisbee because that's, that's, that was really a huge moment. That was a huge moment in, in revival history. And then out of, out of the Chuck Smith movement came John Wimber, and out of the John Wimber movement came John Arnott. And I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, that's, that's the spiritual history that I'm going to talk about a little bit more in the slides that are coming. But... Um, um, this is, this is uh, I've already talked about all this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead. All right, these are the controversies and offenses a little bit more. Chuck Smith, um, when Chuck Smith found Lonnie Frisbee, he found two things. Number one, he found the, the, the secret that he needed for, to reach the people he wanted to reach. And by the way, John, uh, um, Chuck Smith was not really the hero of that story, um, Kay, his wife, was the hero. It was Kay Smith who was praying for the hippies and asking God to save hippies. And then she got her husband stirred up, and then he said to his daughter, what I need to do is find one authentic hippie and, uh, that knows Jesus. And that's literally the story did happen that his daughter picked up a hitchhiker. It was, it was Lonnie Frisbee, and then she brought Lonnie Frisbee home. So uh, Chuck met Lonnie, and it was an instant connection. But um, I'll tell you more about how that happened, I think, as we go along. But I want, I want to show you, here are the things that happened that caused that movement to fall apart. And that is that, that Chuck Smith got offended with people falling in the power of the Spirit. And he wanted it to stop. Now, when I was doing my research, I started chasing down people who lived through this. And, and uh, probably none of you have ever heard the name Tom Stipe. Have you heard that name? You have heard of Greg Laurie because the Jesus Revolution is Greg's story written by Greg and telling his story. That's really what it is. And, and, um, but at, at the same level of leadership in the Calvary Chapel movement at, at that time as Greg Laurie was Tom Stipe. They were young, in their 20s. They were like lieutenants in this movement that, that uh, Chuck Smith had started. And Chuck Smith came to... Um, these two guys and said I want this falling to stop because it was it was happening a lot they're praying for people and the people are going out in the spirit and and Chuck Smith uh, a lot of people don't know this he came out of the Pentecostal four-square movement and he was kind of embarrassed by the craziness specifically of Pentecostal women in the in the sorry, in the, in, in the Pentecostal four-square movement. And he was distancing himself from that history. And so here it comes chasing him down in the figure of Lonnie Frisbee because, guys, you have no idea how wild Lonnie was. The little depictions of him in that movie, the, those little depictions are just, a, they're just the tip of the iceberg 
Uh, Lonnie was a guy who, uh, I, I was told this by eyewitness accounts, he would be out in public and he would talk talking about Jesus and people would scorn him and he would turn to them and speak to them and point his finger at them and people would fall down under the power of God on the streets because he carried such an anointing. It was an unusual, crazy time. Well, Tom Stipe told me he saw this many times. Now, now watch this, because this is this is the one thing. This is the this is about to this is about to slap you. <laughs> this is about to push you down. Um, uh, they said to to each other, Lord, Greg Laurie and Tom Stipe said to each other, "We we're not causing the falling. How can we stop it?" And they said, "Well, let's pray about it. Let's ask God." Listen to this. Tom Stipe told me himself, and he's dead now. He, he has died since he told me this. We prayed and asked God how to stop the falling and to help us stop the falling. And it just stopped. Now listen. What he said to me next, I'll never forget. I'll never get over. That's when I learned, he said, that we are in charge. And I was like offended, like the offense. I was like, what? And, and then I, the more I studied, the more I realized that when revival is poured out, it is the volitional choices of human beings that stops it. This is also in the Bible, guys. In the Bible... God invited the nation of Israel to come to the mountain of Sinai where he invited Moses to come and they came and they experienced God and and it so terrified them that they went and said don't ever let that happen again and God honored their request and God did not speak from heaven again for 1500 years until that instance that I preached about last night, and one before that, actually, at Jesus' baptism. My grandpa, who didn't know anything about really spiritual things, though he read his Bible every day, but he never showed much devotion. But he used to say, son, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. And so they asked God to stop talking to them, and he did. Tom Stipe said, we asked God to stop the falling, and he did. And the, the manifest, these manifestations of the Spirit moved on. Calvary Chapel continued to, to abound, but Calvary Chapel sifted, uh, shifted their message from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because I used to hear, I have on cassette tape, i got to transfer it one day before I go see Jesus, to... to um, a, a, to digital, but he, I heard him on a tape with a room full of people who were new converts, teaching them to be filled with the Spirit, and then inviting them into the experience of speaking in tongues by everyone standing up and the song starting and people singing in tongues, and they said, you can only join it if you sing in the Spirit. And and he activated a whole room full of people in the gift of tongues by by having a person sing in tongues over them. Worship team. Uh, 
<laughs> By the way, worship team, never ever give instructions from the pulpit to the people that, uh, to do something that you're not doing. If you ask them to sing the song of the Lord, start it. <laughs> I'm serious. I, anyway, that's a whole, whole aside. All right. So, so Chuck Smith quenched that. And then John Wimber was in uh, Chuck Smith's movement. John Wimber was... Is there any, y'all, do y'all know John Wimber? Let me see hands. Most of you. All right, John Wimber was a member of the Righteous Brothers. We've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. <laughs> been feeling because it's gone, gone, gone. <laughs> Yeah, Wimber was one of the guys, man. He, yeah, oh yeah. And Wimber got saved in 1963. He got crazy saved. He got led to Christ through some Quakers. Yeah, man, Quakers led him to Jesus. And then his wife, Carol, got filled with Holy Spirit. And John, he just had an anointing. He was gathering people. But Carol wouldn't give up. She wanted Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit came to the Quakers and the Quakers said, yeah, this is a different kind of quaking than we're used to. We don't want this. We don't want this. And so, and so in, in 1978, the Quakers, you know, they got so discomforted by John that they, they wanted him to go. Even though he was reaching more people than any Quaker church anywhere was reaching. And so John went out and he got found by uh, Chuck Smith. And, and then he was really, really loved by Chuck Smith's people. And, and he was, by the way, he was not, he did not start the vineyard. John Wimber did not start the vineyard. The vineyard was started by uh, Ken Gullickson. And Ken Gullickson was a musician, also a musician, and he won a ton of people to Jesus, including Bob Dylan. When Bob Dylan came out with his Christian albums, it was the influence of Ken Gullickson. But he, but he wasn't really a gatherer. So anyway, what happened then was that, that um, Wimber, he folds into Calvary Chapel, and, he's, and his church is growing like crazy, like growing, 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 growing. And, and then <laughs> he has about 800 people, and he invites Lonnie Frisbee. By this time, uh, Lonnie had already been exiled to Florida and he had come back because he didn't fit in Florida either. If you don't know the story of Lonnie Frisbee, I won't go too deeply into it, but ultimately uh, Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee's uh, uh, lack of inner healing and lack of um, inner emotional healing caused him to continuously lap back into, lapse back into immorality and um, drunkenness, and uh, he would, and he would, he fell into homosexual sin, and contracted AIDS. And so Lonnie Frisbee died in, uh, I think it was 1993. Um, but but by that time he was fully restored to Christ. But 
but, but what was interesting is that Lonnie, he'd been so used in Chuck Smith's movement. I hadn't, I hadn't touched this part. I'm, I don't have enough of this, like, really together. Uh, Lonnie Frisbee was the gatherer of Chuck Smith's movement. And, and uh, the, the baptisms at the Corona del Mar Bay, the Pirate's Cove, the baptisms that happened there, they, they were baptizing up to 800 people a month in the Corona del Mar Bay. And mostly it was because of Lonnie Frisbee's evangelism. And it was just unbelievable. It was just crazy unbelievable. Um, but, but then he, he fell out with Chuck, and Chuck sent him to Florida to be with uh, Bob Mumford. Bob Mumford was one of the shepherding movement leaders. And they thought, get him under authority. Get him in, but that couldn't work either. And so he, <laughs> that didn't work either. So Lonnie Frisbee came back, and, and, and Chuck Smith, God bless Chuck, he always took Lonnie back. Chuck had his flaws, but he always took Lonnie back. And then he said to Wimber, you, you'd like this young man. And, and Chuck Smith and, and, and John Wimber invited uh, Lonnie Frisbee to come to his church on Mother's Day 1980. There's some controversy about the date, but that's the date. And, um, and it was a Mother's Day night, and there were 800 people in, a, in an auditorium at a high school. And he's, this is, he's, the, he's the first one. He's the originator that I can find to, to say, come Holy Spirit. John Wimber did not initiate come Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, once again, actually it originates in Catholicism. <laughs> the Catholics, the Catholic, yeah, 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 I'm getting a nod over here. Yeah, um, but, but um, uh, Frisbee did it that night and half of the room got slain in the spirit, overcome, snockered, if you will, and the other half of the room went out the back door. Like literally, John Wimber lost half his congregation on that night. And within, within three weeks, his congregation was half the size that it was. And then from Mother's Day to Labor Day of 1980, his church was 2,000. And he had baptized most of them in his own pool in his own backyard. Because it was like a tsunami. And, and in came the flood. But along with that came the mess. And so, uh, so one of the messes that came was that demons started manifesting in Christians. Now in Christendom, there, look, look, the Catholics have always known that, that demons are everywhere and they've always cast them out. It's no big deal. And, uh, but evangelicals were skittish about this and especially about the fact that Christians could have a demon. It was, uh, it was on this day in the year 2000 that I stood in my Baptist church and told them that my first encounter with Holy Spirit after I'd been born again in 1972 was when I had demons cast out of me in 1977. And that was warmly received. This weekend, in 23 years ago, today, Saturday, because I had a Saturday service, was, was when I sort of um, committed suicide in my Baptist church. I'll say more about that probably 
uh, tonight because it was fun. <laughs> Dying is fun. <laughs> because, because in Jesus, there's always resurrection if you die. Amen. <laughs> so, so, um, so there was controversy, and most people don't realize it, but it was that, it was that Wimber was casting demons out of Christians that upset Chuck Smith the most. Because they had the doctrine that a Christian couldn't have a demon. And that's a huge controversy that's always been, and gosh, I didn't ask you, Pastor, if I would, it was okay to bring that up, but all I know is, here, here's how I've been with demons. I just cast them out when I find them. I don't care how they got there or, or when they got there. I just cast them out. And, and I, like, this is a really big deal. And uh, sure enough, when demons were cast out of me, my Baptist church was traumatized because they thought I was a Christian. And then, and then I used to say, the church traumatized me more than the demons. <laughs> Ouch. Because um, they made me be real quiet about it. I didn't want anybody to know. You know, anybody to know. And, and um, hallelujah, again, Papa Jack Taylor and his writings were a big salvation for me. So Chuck Smith and John Wimber fell out over, over uh, especially demonic manifestations. So in uh, 1982, this thing unfolds kind of slowly. So John Wimber is still a Calvary Chapel pastor for two years after the Spirit came to his church. But it started to discomfort the rest of the Calvary Chapel because the rest of the Calvary Chapel had they had successfully tamped down the charismatic manifestation. But at, at John Wimber's place, it was flaming up. And so they had a retreat where all the leaders of Calvary Chapel came together and at that meeting, they, Chuck Smith didn't say this, but one of his guys, one other pastor, I could name him, but let me not. And he said, when people come to McDonald's, they expect to get McDonald's, not Burger King. You're Burger King and we're McDonald's. And we think you should go be Burger King. In other words, they said to him, that's not Calvary Chapel. You're not really Calvary Chapel. You're not really one of us. We're not saying that you're not from God. We're saying you're not one of us. And so John Wimber got pushed out of Calvary Chapel. And when, and when John Wimber left Calvary Chapel, pretty much... The manifestation of the Spirit, the freedom of flow in the Holy Spirit uh, really began to ebb in Calvary Chapel. Um, there was some of it left. Calvary Chapel got to where, they got so uptight about this stuff that they actually got to where that if you got up to go to the bathroom during the preaching and you went out, you were not allowed to come back in because you were disturbing the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I could give uh, the list of things that became to be prohibited because, because nothing could disturb the preaching, ever. Nothing. The preaching was everything. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Calvary Chapel. I remember when, I also remember when it used to be that, you know, the worship would start 
and people would spontaneously stand up, lift up their hands. They got to where they would ask people not to do that lest they disturb people around them. So again, hyper order is, is what comes in and quenches the Holy Spirit. And now they try to stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Calvary Chapel uh, and, and they have varied results. Sometimes the leader can have some success, but most of the time it's, uh, the only place that they're allowed to manifest this stuff is in the afterglows. I'm not being critical. I'm trying to be explanatory. Because, listen, Calvary Chapel has been a great blessing from God. It was a great revival that God brought. And um, so there's that. So, so John Wimber left that meeting and drove down the hill and at a stop sign, his car and Tom Stipe's car were next to each other and they rolled down the windows like, what just happened? And that was when Tom Stipe and John said, well, I guess we've started a new church. And then Wimber called a gathering and that was when Ken Gullickson came together and Ken said, why don't you be a vineyard? And there's more to it than that. I think actually Chuck Smith was somewhat involved in it. This, this, was, this was not an acrimonious thing. It was painful, but it wasn't acrimonious. And, and uh, Wimber, that's how Wimber inherited the musical talent of Calvary Chapel. And that's how things shifted from Maranatha music to Vineyard music. And Vineyard music became the ascendant kind of worship music because the musicians, the artists, uh, trended toward toward Wimber and and they had a new denomination even though they didn't really call it a denomination well in Wimber's movement there were two things that were features of Wimber's movement that were most one was the impartation of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands and two was um, uh, healing healing and this is interesting because John Wimber was not the originator of either one of those things. The impartation teaching came from Frisbee. And literally, um, what, what John did was interesting. Because John had that massive explosion in his church. And just, just so you'll know, he didn't allow that to happen every week. He would turn pretty quickly to order. And they developed the ministry team model and so they had manifestations of the Spirit, but it was all very well orchestrated. They had models of ministry so that they could kind of contain the explosion so it wouldn't be as offensive. And, and uh, there'd be lots of people shaking down at front, but it wouldn't be the whole congregation disrupted. But John would go on the road, and he would tell people what happened in his church, and he would take Frisbee with him, and he would say, now Lonnie's going to show you. And literally, John Wimber learned to flow in the gift of impartation through the anointing that was on Lonnie Frisbee. I never knew that. This is good because we all need each other and we all can get something from somebody that we don't have ourselves. I'm not criticizing John Wimber about this. And the other guy is Blaine Cook. Y'all know the name Blaine Cook? Blaine Cook is not known by most people, but Blaine Cook is the guy who who was longing to see people get healed. And so uh, Blaine Cook would sneak off. I say sneak off. You know, he was in his church with Wimber, but he would go to healing meetings at Melody Land 
in California. Some of you have heard of Melody Land. It was a great revival center. And there was a guy that was strongly anointed in healing, and he taught Blaine Cook how to do words of knowledge and how to do healing. And Blaine Cook carried it back to Vineyard. And then you would see John Wimber, he would go out on conferences and he would bring Blaine Cook with him. And Blaine Cook would get up, you can go online and find a few videos like this, where Blaine would get up and give words of knowledge and, and for people to get healed. And it, would, and it would be remarkable. So then what Wimber did was he then started doing show and tell. Or it was tell and show. So he would tell the gifts of God, and then he would show how they're manifested. And this became such a big deal, it was really kind of fascinating, that um, Fuller Seminary developed a course called MC something, I forget. I can't remember. 512. MC 512, which was, which was a class. That's the numbers. You know how in the catalog... And it was a class on signs, wonders, and church growth. And, and John Wimber would come to see Peter Wagner's class, and he would teach on the gift of healing or the gift of words of knowledge or tongues. He, and then he would demonstrate it with the class. Well, it became very quickly the most sought-after class. And instead of being a few dozen students, it would be hundreds. Well, in an academic institution, that creates, guess what? An offense. Because and then then and then they said, well, John Wimber's not really a professor; he can't really do this. <laughs> but he did, <laughs> and, and and they they kind of quenched that. All right, but here's what happened: both Lonnie Frisbee and Blaine Cook came under charges of misbehavior, and Wimber. He was great at a lot of things, but he wasn't a father. And fathers discipline and restore their sons. And Wimber belonged to that era of discipline, but not restoration. And much of it had to do with the fact that Wimber was a fatherless kid himself. And he carried an orphaned heart. And I love the man. Never met him. He transformed my life, but this was the truth. And so those guys got spun out of uh, Wimber's group, and so the mess, the message, the man, the mess, the message, the man, the mess, the mess was there. Then along comes uh, Randy Clark, and Randy Clark is the guy who's chasing after the anointing. And by the way, the only reason you know about Blaine Cook is because of Randy. Because Blaine Cook came to Randy's church and, and, and imparted to Randy. And Randy was never the same after that. And from that day to this, Randy's been chasing more, 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 more. And he still does it all the time. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful, crazy man. And, and then uh, Blaine Cook, like, disappeared. And for 25 years, Blaine Cook was not to be found uh, in any kind of public forum. And uh, I was on a Brazil trip when, when, when Randy uh, talked Blaine into coming back. Uh, Randy wasn't the only one. Uh, Carol Wimber also reached out to Blaine, and, and, and Blaine, Blaine came back into, in, into the public, public sphere. And 
Wonderful, wonderful man of God. Wonderful, wonderful brother in Christ. Absolutely incredible man. I love Blaine. And had the privilege of knowing him and interviewing him for my, for my research. Well, Randy goes off to a meeting with Rodney Howard Brown. And that's where he tells the story about Rodney Howard Brown. Phil, 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 Phil. And, and, and Randy would go get prayer, fill out, get up, go back, fill out. And, 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 and uh, Roddy Howard, you know, he's not taking time. He's just, and Randy just kept jumping in line. And then Randy comes back to his church and, and tells the church about his experience. And the whole church is out on the floor. And Arnett hears about Randy and says, come here, come here, come here. He goes to Toronto, and the rest is history. The Toronto outpouring uh, happened, and it was so wonderful to me because, listen, by the time I met Randy, he wasn't a big deal. He wasn't a famous person by any means. He was hardly known. I knew about Toronto, but I didn't know, you're the guy? He's the guy? What? This guy? He's the... <laughs> and, and, yeah, he was a little old me. He was. And... And, uh, and so I got to know Randy in uh, 1998 and then became closely affiliated with him in, uh, in 2002 and have been associated with Randy. My life is bound to his. I, I told Randy um, many, many years ago, I'll do anything you ask me. And I have never remitted that. And he keeps asking, and I'm having fun. All right. All right, this is a little profile on Lonnie Frisbee, and uh, I've already told you most of this, so I'm, I'm not going to do that, but just the highlights are there. He had a vision, and uh, in his vision, it was that he would bring a sea of people to Christ. By the way, uh, he, was, he was high on, on drugs when he had his vision. Like he was high, high. And, he, and it was a while before he got free of drugs. And then uh, there's the Chuck Smith thing. He wasn't prepared for the love. And then the House of Miracles was founded. Uh, what, what, what people don't know, they show that House of Miracles in, in, in the movie. But uh, when that thing started exploding, Calvary Chapel had over a network of over 200 houses of refuge where they took people in, got them off the streets, got them cleaned up. It was an incredible move of God. And uh, then um, as many as 8,000 people got baptized in one year in in the ocean and then this is what's funny because that really happened there's Lonnie and there's and there's the Time Magazine Jesus Revolution authentic cover that's what really happened and it was really interesting for us because it's supposed to be Jesus but you know there it is the association with Lonnie and then this and that, that's the message he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be damned. And, it, and he said in his word to me, I would receive power after that the Holy Ghost would come upon me. And I waited upon the Lord, and the Holy Ghost came upon me. All right. Yeah, I got it down to the tip of my toe. So I, I just want you to get that. That's that was that's the real Lonnie. He was on um, Catherine Kuhlman's show. This is um, Papa Chuck Smith, and uh, I, I've told you enough about him. And then 
This is... This is real baptisms. Happened in the Pirate's Cove, the Corona del Mar Bay. On the cliffs would be the early Jesus people bands playing the Jesus songs. Listen how beautiful. One after another. In the Jesus Revolution movie, when they depicted this, the extras were getting born again in the filming of this. (laughs) Then I've already talked about this stuff. I won't go back into this. There's a picture of, of Chuck Smith. Went to be with the Lord in 2013. And then uh, here's a picture of John Wimber. Uh, saved in 63, becomes a Quaker. Um, co-pastored a large congregation, became a church growth consultant, embraced charismatic renewal, and leaves the Quakers and joins Calvary Chapel. And, uh, and here's, and, and here's um, John and one time they introduced John, and they introduced him as, you know, big glowing introduction, da-da-da-da-da, and they said he was a doctor, and da-da-da-da, and Wimber gets up and says, none of that's true. <laughs> he said, I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. And here's a little taste of John Wimber. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with people. Didn't you? I liked him. Before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I was prepared with the idea that we're going to be on high. I'm going to sit down. I want to go down. The deepest, darkest place down. Over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go. Because that's where I was going. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking their dad about it. I said, well, what do we go out and do? He said, well, I said, what do we go out and do? He said, well, you didn't have to do it. You just have to believe it was God's 
you to notice a commonality and I'll, I'll, I'll come to it but I want you to there's a common thread that you see in these videos that that we have and I've already told you about Wimber how the things that happened with him I can see the ways I need to rearrange this material for for when I when I do it the next time and um, again the the controversies but let me just let me just outline the the, the controversies there was shaking, the falling under the power, the demonic manifestation in believers, being drunk in the spirit, holy laughter, and animal imitations. These were the primary things that people were offended with with Toronto. It's an interesting thing that well, what, what we don't know that was happening back then was, was when these things were happening at Toronto, um, there was... There was a, a radio guy in Southern California, Hank Hanegraaff. Y'all know Hank Hanegraaff? Hank Hanegraaff had a, a radio program that was on every day. And literally every day for a couple of years, Hanegraaff would show snippets of some revival where somebody looked crazy without context somewhere. Look, you could show it in context and they would look crazy. But he, they would show those things and then he would spend his whole radio program condemning it. Well, this stuff was happening in Toronto especially, and then people would go to Toronto and then they would go out and they would go home to their churches and they would want to bring it to their churches. Well, nobody wants you to bring that to their churches. They, they, they weren't like advertising for that. They didn't want the chaos. And so, uh, nevertheless, uh, people, so then people started having renewal movements, um, renewal services. And after I got touched by the Holy Spirit in 1997, uh, listen, when, I, when that happened to me, I, I didn't even know about Toronto. I didn't know. <laughs> it was like, you know, that was in another world. Other than I knew, the, I knew some of the accusations, some of the crazy accusations. And then I started meeting people uh, that had been there. And then, and then I started going to um, revival outpourings 
and, and I was so I pastor my Baptist church in a very orderly way on the weekends, and then during the week I would go be crazy at a at a renewal meeting. And in those days, my wife was as upset. She was more upset than my than my Baptist church would be. So I didn't let them know it. But I just kept pressing in for more, pressing in for more. And uh, then one night, I was. They asked me to. They asked me to help lead the the night. And 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 I was getting ready to go. And I came in, and my wife was laying on the floor in the bathroom crying. And I said, "What's wrong with you, honey?" And she said, you're, you're leaving me. I'm like, honey, I'm never going to leave you. And she said, you already have. Ooh. And I called up my buddies and said, I ain't coming tonight, guys. Y'all going to have to handle it without me. And I, and I sat with my wife. But my wife went through her own process after I got filled with the Holy Spirit and it, all the disruptions of my life. And then I waited on her. It took two years. And I, I didn't do anything publicly. I, and, and then Holy Spirit just wonderfully gently beautifully worked with her and and the power of god came on her and now now we were united in these crazy things and and uh <laughs> that 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 led to where we were on uh, this night in uh, uh the year 2000 where i i was t- i just had come to the place where i knew i had to tell my church everything that was happening with me and so I told them about my own experiences with um, praying in tongues, having demons cast out, prophesying, healing the sick, um, having miracles through dreams, having, <laughs> having uh, supernatural direction given to me. I, I just told it all. I, did, I took two weeks to do it. I did it on the, on the 25th of June and then on the uh, 24th and 25th of June and then on the 1st and 2nd of July and told them everything. And by the end of that, they were thoroughly traumatized by these same seven things that we're talking about here. And, and uh, anyway, there it is. And so um, this was the glory days for Wimber. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on past that. And then, and then the, the thing that started happening at Toronto. I'm going to go pretty fast through this material because I want you to see a couple of videos. But here's what happened, and this is what is really shocking. Uh, John Wimber was the tip of the, tip of the, the spear on the gifts of the Holy Spirit until Toronto happened. And then Toronto was so disruptive. It was like, it was like, what happened in Anaheim at Wimbers Church was the flood. What happened at Toronto was a tsunami. And Wimber had a capacity for the flood, but he didn't have a capacity for the tsunami. And what, what shocks us is what ultimately happened was that the offense of Toronto became too great for John Wimber. It was, uh, it was, it was 1995, and John's son was dying of cancer, and John himself was very sick. And uh, the churches that John was pastoring were screaming and saying, this disruption is coming to our church, and Hank Hanegraaff is destroying us, and, and all these things. And then, unfortunately, uh, John Wimber came to the place where he... He called on uh, uh, John Arnott and, and said, there's something wrong. And so they drew up uh, a list of 21 accusations, which were, I say 21 accusations. It was 21 things that were happening at Toronto that, that, that Wimber and his people said, this is going sh- to be shocking, that they said, that's not who we are. Now remember this, 
remember this. John Wimber had experienced being told by the Quakers, that's not who we are. John Wimber had experienced being told by Chuck Smith, that's not who we are. And now John Wimber gets stretched to the place that he says to, to uh, uh, John Arnott, that's not who we are. Now, I don't judge these things because I've studied it enough to know that, man, I've participated in some of these same processes on a much lower level. It's just so hard. It's just so hard. When, when your pastors are coming to you and they're saying, listen, our church members are leaving because this is so disruptive and we, we can't pay our bills and, and, uh, and, and, and Hank Hanegraaff is destroying us on the, on the radio every day. And uh, so here it comes. Uh, in 1994, that, that went out. And then in December of 1995, um, that was the end. And, and John Wimber went to John Arnott and, and said, you, you have to leave. And they exiled, um, they exiled the, the, Toronto, the Toronto Vineyard and insisted that they change their name and that they be, they be taken out of the fellowship. And so uh, there was a, a prophecy that said, John and Carol are not John and Carol. And, and many people believe that that prophecy was actually saying that, that perhaps what God was trying to do was to move John and Carol into the place that John and Carol had been. In other words, that maybe what God was doing was raising up John and Carol Arnott to be the new leaders, even though they would tell you they never wanted that. But nevertheless, that strange prophecy was given, and these were the kinds of things that happened. I'm going to speed. I'm going to speed through this, and uh, hallelujah. I'm going to hallelujah. I want to. I want you to see a video. I'm coming to the end of my time on this. Catherine Kuhlman. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Now let me let me just show you a little bit more. Matthew 18:1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives such a one in my name receives me. At the end of the, math, or the, of the, of the Matthew chapter 11 passage is also a passage that I skipped over about childlikeness. Now listen, childishness is selfish. Childlikeness is glorious. I'll give you a little picture of, of childlikeness. I have a, a, a grandson. His name is Ansel. And I think it was last year, maybe even the year before, uh, Ansel was in the pool swimming with floaties. You know the little floaties? And 
he's at the, you know, he's kind of getting at the age where people are provoking him, and don't you want to try to swim? Da, 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 da. And, and he's afraid, and he doesn't really want to swim, but he's a smart little kid, right? And, and, uh, he, and so he's a budding theologian because he's, he's, he's trying to deal with this whole you know, shame over his floaties thing. And he says, he says, literally, he says this, like, innocently. He says, um, Poppy, do you know that Jesus walked on water? I'm like, yeah, I knew that. Did you know he's the only one that could walk on water? Yeah. And he goes, I guess that's because he couldn't swim. <laughs> that's childlikeness. That's childlikeness. Now listen, listen. One of the things that when I, when I was doing my research, the thing that, that struck me was I watched the videos of all these figures and I would go, there's something about them. And it's that quality of childlikeness. You see it. It's, it's that sweet quality of childlikeness. And... And then I have to admit, you know, no one has ever accused me of that. Not a compliment. And um, something that we really need. Hallelujah. No, that's not it. I'm going to be sure to see if I can get this one. Yeah? I'm going to try one more time. Give it a minute and see if it comes up. It'll be the last one if I can get it to come in. It's not going to come up. But this will be good. And place my spirit in me too. And so everything changes. He's about to become a well of living water gushing forth from within you, and that well of living water gets out everything else. Yeah. And the new birth experience is real. Sure is. <laughs> and it's really yours. He's really, really real. <laughs> Okay, the video that I wasn't able to get, you won't be surprised, it was a video of Heidi Baker. If you've ever been around Heidi Baker, is there anybody, if you don't know who Heidi Baker is, let me see a hand. Okay, okay. Uh, Heidi Baker um, is a missionary um, to Mozambique, and she had been doing missionary work for 15 years. She was in the first video when she, she briefly talked about it. And she goes to Toronto, and uh, early on in their, their, or late in their ministry, they finally had a breakthrough, and, and the Spirit of God was, 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 was being poured out on them. And, and yet, you know, the struggles were so hard. And then they got a pledge of a million dollars. And then she goes to Toronto, and, and God just absolutely wrecked her in Toronto. And I mean, she was like in one of those things where for days 
they drag her in and out of meetings. And women would have to carry her to the bathroom. So she, <laughs> and it was, it was, and Randy prophesied over her, "Do you want the nation of Mozambique?" And she was a nobody at that time. Nobody really, nobody really knew who she was. Yes, and Randy, he's he's giving it to you, and and um, I mean, just undone, undone. And then she goes back to Mozambique, and two things happen. One is the government takes away their, their, their children's homes. And then, so she keeps making trips back to Toronto, and the church that promised her a million dollars said, you're going to have to decide whether you're going to um, rescue kids in Mozambique or you're going to lay on the floor in Toronto. This has really happened. This really happened. And... And um, and she and she said I had to go one more time. And she went and God poured out on her again, and she and she died to the million dollar gift. She just died. She said, "Doesn't matter. I want God more than I want a million dollars." This was uh, this was like '99, and then the 2000 floods hit in Mozambique, and the 2000 floods becomes the catalyst for a movement of God in the nation of Mozambique that over the period of the last 23 years has led to four of the major provinces of northern Mozambique that were designated by the government as Muslim provinces being recast, redesignated as Christian provinces because of God pouring out His Spirit. Now if you see Heidi in Mozambique, she's like a conquering general. But if you see Heidi... In America, she's she's always drunk. She's always she's always on the floor. She's always like she's making a fool of herself. And she talks about sometimes she talked about one time she was in a bathroom stall, <laughs> and, and and she was and she hears these women talking about well Heidi Baker's next and da 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 and she <laughs> she's in the stall there and she goes I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna Really preach a sermon. And, and then she goes out there and, ah, ah, whoa, whoa, whoa. I wanted to show you a video of her where she's drunk in the Holy Spirit and she's preaching and she, and she tells the, the, the story about how her sermon, Pastor, may I touch you? May yeah. I put my hands on you? Just stay right there. Just right, stay right there. Her sermon was, that she would say, she would say, too big, too small, too big, too small, too big, too small. And she said, I did it for like 30 minutes. And there was this guy down on the front row that, that, that she said he was a famous African apostle or something. She's like, that's the guy. And then she goes down and does it to him. And he, she, he was the most offended with her there of all. Now they're great friends. <laughs> but... But, I mean, when you watch her, it's like, it's like, it's very, 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 very offensive to the mind. And um, she did that to me, by the way. <laughs> anybody, anybody who knows me for five seconds knows, too big. <laughs> you know, they know, they know that. And I've, I've had three transformative experiences in my life. Number one was in the football stadium in Mississippi in 1972 when I cried out to God and he poured his spirit out on me and, uh, and I was born again. The second was in 
uh, New Life Church in Colorado Springs with Cindy Jacobs was speaking on the gift of prophecy and she pulls me out of the crowd and lays hands on me and she says, Alan, you feel like you're neither fish nor fowl, like you don't belong anywhere. And the Holy Spirit fell on me and I got filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed by God and, and it gave me from, from that moment in 1997 to when it happened in, in 2000, changed my life and led me to say, it doesn't matter what I lose, I got I to gotta chase after what I've gained. And then the third one, was when my father died and and I fell into a depression I didn't know what was wrong with me I didn't know the grief of what I was never able to get from my father he he, he couldn't give me what he just couldn't give it to me and he, listen my father loved me but he didn't know how to give me what I needed and and I coped with it and dealt with it and even know that my father went to sleep in Jesus and I have a, there's a whole story about that, but but I I was I was when my dad died I didn't actually grieve I preached his funeral and I was uh, I, I had perfect peace between myself and my dad but whatever that thing was that he couldn't give me it was destroying me on the inside and I went to Mozambique and and whew, I went there. And there's no cell phones. I'm gone for 18 days. There's no communication with Gail. You don't know me. Don't get me apart from this lady for 18 days. I don't want nothing to do with that. I, the world doesn't want to see that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was writing in a diary. And, I, I, and I, we're, we're around the orphan children. And we're around Heidi Baker. And every day I'm seeing the miracles. Every day I'm watching God pour out his spirit and Heidi's preaching about the water flows to the lowest place and I'm like nothing's happening to me and I'm and, and I'm in that place and like I don't experience anything I don't feel anything and I just feel dead and empty and what's wrong with me I've been a Christian I'm filled with the spirit what's wrong with me why am I acting like this and and I, I wrote in my diary tomorrow I will leave this place and I will be an orphan I literally wrote that in my diary. And then we had the last meeting in uh, Dondu, Africa. And Heidi says, we're going to pray for all the missionaries. Well, there was like 75 missionaries and all these Africans. And I honestly, I immediately got offended. Why, 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 why? Why are, why are we getting the attention? And why not, the, why not these Africans? There's much more need there than us. Don't pray for us. And I'm like religious and I'm offended. And, and guess what? The Spirit fell on everybody there. And I'll never forget it. One of my, one of my best friends at the time, um, the Holy Spirit fell on him and he started howling like a wolf. And I'm watching this guy and I'm like, that's the Toronto thing. I had never seen it before. And, and uh, by the way, he didn't even know he did it. Just, just so you know. It was a, oh, yeah, it's crazy. He was, he was like a mess. 
and a whole lot of more stuff happened. And I'm like, I just got to go. I got to leave. And I start moving myself away from the center of this thing. And I got over to the corner of the platform. I could take you to the very place. That platform is still there. I could got to the corner of the platform. And over here is all the women of Africa. You know, the men are over here and the women are over here. And for some reason, I'm like trying to find my way through the crowd of the women. It's like, oh, no, why am I doing this? And suddenly I'm at the corner of the platform and there's a pole coming up the platform and I grab hold of this pole and a British friend of mine sees me I'm trying to get out see I'm, I'm trying to leave the meeting I'm saying God's not touching me so I'm leaving I was going to go around and be in the back of the room and I was going to sit in the dark and wait for this thing to end and just get on the plane and go home and as I'm as I'm going there my my friend he says oh British guy I look at him your church is going to be sorry they sent you here. You're never going to get back the same. And when he said that to me, about that time Heidi noticed me and comes over there and puts her hand on my head, my too big head, and starts praying for me. And the next thing I know, I'm like delirious. And the next thing I know, you know, it's depressed. It's in Africa. You don't know. There's people don't have any spatial sense there. Everybody touches everything, and I don't want people touching me like that. And so I'm trying to hold on to the pole, and I never forget it. She leaned over and said, "You can let go, Alan. The mothers of Africa have made room for you." And I went flying through the air and let. And I'm spread eagle in the dust and dirt of Africa. And I start weeping. And I go into a place of uncontrolled wailing and wailing and wailing. And it goes on and on and on. And I open my eyes and looking down on me is this little kid named Dolige who had been following me around for three days. Looking at me, this little African kid that I thought was an orphan at the time and and he's just fascinated by the and then Heidi's African stuns start praying for me for three days I cried and wailed and screamed and uh, my friend uh, Bob Savelle he says Alan there were so many times that I had to check on you because I thought he might die he just might die and and when I rose up when I rose up from that dust, I was done. The orphan thing never touched me again. Are you kidding me? So, so I'm like, I'm privileged that I had experience with God, with the Savior, my Lord Jesus, an experience with Holy Spirit, the one who fills me. And then I had an encounter with God that I never expected. My father, my father, my father. And Jesus, the Bible says, came to reveal the father. Now, I want you to know that every one of those experiences, if someone was watching them, they were disruptive. They were not keeping the peace. 
but it was the Lord. Now, if you want to be a people of revival, I'm sorry, you're praying for a flood. And so, you know, we're all praying for revival, and things are coming upon us that we go, where is this coming from? What we ought to be doing is saying, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? Where are you? Where are you in this cultural revolution that we're experiencing? Where are you in this political explosion that's fomenting within us? Where are you in the confusion, Lord? Where are you? Reveal yourself to us. And there's where the revival is, where we find him in the midst of it all. And so um, I've received a father's blessing, see? And so now, as a father in the kingdom of God, I call you blessed. As one who has received what he could not get from his own father, as one who has received from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning, I bless you that you also might receive. I bless you that you also might find that God meets you in the recesses of the broken places of all your unfulfilled needs, that God might heal you, that every room of your house might be clean and swept and filled with the love of God that surpasses knowledge. I bless you because if you are blessed by Jesus, our King and our God, no one can curse you. And because the way all our curses are gone in our life is by the, the, the coming of the blessing. And so the Lord blessed me with his Father's heart. And I didn't know it. I didn't intend it. I didn't cause it. I didn't make it happen. But people started coming to me and saying, you know, Will you be a father in my life? And I have to say, as long as you understand that the only one who can really feel the need is him. Yeah. Is him. And so, Airport Christian Fellowship, you are blessed. You are a revival center. You are asking and you have received. He gives. It's yours. It's yours. And in the days that come, it is not I who have broken the ground. It's not I who have planted the seed. It is your, yourself and your pastors and, and your inheritance is coming and it will not be delayed I've never spoken this over people before <laughs> he's coming to you with healing in his wings he's coming to you with the, with the well that never runs dry he's coming to you with the peace that passes understanding he's coming to you 
Hallelujah. He's coming to take away the orphan spirit. He's coming to take away the fear of man. He's coming to take away the fallowness of the frustration and the futility. He's coming. He's a great king. He's a great God. He's a great Lord. He's yours. He's your inheritance. He's your inheritance. He's coming. And he will not delay. He is at the door. He is near. They will come and they will say, something has happened here. And some will come and they will say, this is a place of madness. But they will come and they will know that there is someone here that is greater than themselves. Because, hallelujah, Jesus came and he said to us, greater is Jonah than Jonah is here. Greater than Solomon is here. The greatness of God was in this man, our Lord Jesus, who came to us and broke open the heavens and sent forth Holy Spirit and poured Himself out on us. And it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. 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 I think I'm finished. Pastor at your house. 